Blog Talk Radio. A restaurant. Tied in from AZ to Davies, you know my thoughts get crazy. My teachers, they couldn't grade me. I know some Haitians in Dade County got toppers in Haiti. She booked a flight to Columbia, made her body amazing. Just to post it on Tumblr, just to fuck up the summer shit. I don't care what you coming with me and hit boy running shit. Big gold rope chains, but they flooded now. Pull up with the ghost like a haunted house. She getting scary blood on my hands like Carrie. Might walk through a cemetery to see where hip-hop is buried. I said it was dead, but it faked his death like Machiavelli. You see letters in red splatter, look like sauce. Yeah, ready? Hey, this is the No Huddle Show. We are back in business on a Monday. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I am hoping that we get through this show. Uh, We are down Sam. Sam is not feeling well today, so he cannot make it. Uh, so the change, the show's going to change a little bit as I don't have my partner in crime, uh, here to, uh, kind of do, uh, bounce things off of, but, uh, please feel free to call in, uh, the number is 563-999-3761. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple different topics today, but, um, I wanted to get, uh, started, uh, with some college football talk and, uh, I'm going to dive into this now because normally, you know, Sam and I, we discuss a little bit of college football, but uh, as it's well known, uh, Sam's not the most, uh, he doesn't follow college football very much. Uh, so I thought since he's not going to be on the show today, I could take some time and <clears throat> discuss uh, one of the things that's a little concerning to me with uh, college football in general right now. Uh, we are seeing more and more coaches getting fired. Uh, there seems to be um, no patience whatsoever. And patience can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Um, you look at Scott Frost, he's going to get a fifth year. He was forced to replace pretty much all of his offensive assistants. To me, he's had four losing seasons, giving him a fifth year to try to turn things around. I, I, I don't know. But at the same token, there's guys that are getting fired after a couple bad seasons. Uh, we saw Matt Wells at Texas Tech get replaced uh, shortly into his third season. Um, Ed Orgeron at LSU, two years removed from winning a national title, went 5-5 five and five in a COVID year. This year he had uh, LSU. Um, you know, I apologize. I'm not uh, entirely sure what their record is off the top of my head right now. I don't know if they lost this past weekend. Uh, but it looks like LSU is currently sitting at four and six, so not the best record. They're probably destined for uh, a bad season this year. Who knows what could have happened if they had chose to retain Ed Orgeron, but they still got games against Louisiana Monroe and Texas A&M. They'll probably beat Louisiana Monroe, but they're probably looking at like a five and seven season, possibly at best six and six, which is not where they want to be. But Considering that Ed O just won a national title, I find it very interesting that they're already looking to part ways. Um, the next job opening to hit the market, uh, surprisingly, is Jimmy Lake getting fired from Washington. Um, he hasn't been at Washington. I believe last year was his first year as head coach. They were 3-1. and one. They only played four games, four games. And this year they're off to a disappointing start. Um, they have been – you know, they were preseason top 20. They lost to Montana early. They're three and four in the Pac-12. They're four and six. Probably looking at a potential losing season. Um, not how 
anybody wanted this to go uh, at Washington. But, uh, you know, this is honestly, it's a, gr- it's a very good job. And that's one thing I want to talk about is we got all these job openings. You have USC, you have Washington, you have the LSU. Those are the big profile job openings now. Okay. And then who, you know, obviously, if, depending on who takes what job, uh, that could leave other jobs open. Um, there's a handful of other jobs that could come open based on results. I could totally see Miami moving on from Manny Diaz potentially. Uh, I don't know if Florida State's going to make a move. Florida might come open. Dan Mullen's under fire right now uh, for his lack of success. Uh, I would say Texas if they hadn't just hired Steve Sarkeesian. Um, but I would say that, you know, that's probably about it. But Penn State might come – maybe Penn State comes open if James Franklin takes the USC or the LSU job. Maybe Baylor comes open if Dave Aranda leaves. Um, but of the current openings right now, if I had to rank them, I would put – Washington, surprisingly, as the number one job opening, and people are going to ask why. You know, USC, LSU, they're so much more attractive, maybe, but here's why. If you are looking at the total landscape of college coaching, and you have to factor in everything, factor in money, factor in conference, you have to factor in the division you play in in said conference, you have to look at location for recruits, you have to look at expectations, You look at the Pac-12, Washington is in the north, so they're with Oregon, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford. Washington has a ton of money. It is a sleeping giant. Washington has a lot of resources, but expectations are not sky high for a program that has some tradition in history. They have money and resources. If you go to Washington and you average nine wins a season and you can maybe win a, a conference title every three or four years and have your team in the thick of it, uh, maybe once in every seven, eight years, you make the college football playoff, that's a dream. That's It's a great job. Chris Peterson, he left. That's basically what – Chris Peterson did at Washington. When he came over from Boise State, he took over for Steve Sarkeesian at Washington. Okay. He went eight and six his first year, seven and six second year, then twelve and two in two thousand and sixteen, and that was the year they made the college football playoff. His next year they went ten and three, lost in the Fiesta Bowl. Then in two thousand eighteen, ten and three regular season lost in the Rose Bowl, okay, 2018. That was the year they lost. They opened the season with the loss to Auburn. They lost to Oregon that year in overtime. They lost to Cal inexplicably by two. It was a bad game. Then they lost to Ohio State by five in the Rose Bowl. Then the next year, they go eight and five. It was a rebuilding kind of type year, and then he he stepped away. Places like Oh, we got a caller calling in. So let's uh, hear what our caller has to say. Hello, oh, you're David. live with the No Hustle. Good evening. Uh, first time caller, but I've heard about the show here. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't get a chance to call that often. But, um, you know, when you – and you you were going to mention about the uh, Thanksgiving games uh, for um, uh, coming up this year. Well, of course, if you have Detroit, well, not much of a game, but I'm really going to be looking forward to the Dallas game, of course, because they're in right in the thick of it for once. I mean, they last are. year was disappointing, but, you know, with, with Dak back the way he is, you know, this is this is can't miss football right now. I knew when Dak was going to get back from his injury last year, I say watch out for the Dallas Cowboys because with him and Ryan, they are a dangerous team, and it's proving that way so far. Okay, last week was a bit of a problem, but he never should have played in last week's game anyway. I think they should have kept the Cooper Rush and might have been a bit different outcome because I don't think uh, yeah. Prescott was actually done healing from that injury. I really didn't. Yeah. You know, every team's entitled to a bad game, right? It happens. Yes, yes. Every team. Every team plays bad games once in a while, but it finally seems like Dallas this year decided to get back to what they do best. And what they do best is not having Dak Prescott throw the ball 55 times a game. What they do best is get up on teams early and then pound away with the running game. Feed Zeke, he needs to be getting at least 20 carries a game. And then you can offset that Mm -hmm. with Tony Pollard out there. Get up, you know, yeah, let come out and start gunning the football early. Get a, you know, 14 to nothing lead or something, and then just start pounding the, the, the clock away from the ball. And their defense is back this year. Uh, Dallas Dallas looks very good. And uh, speaking of the Thanksgiving Day games that you pointed out, uh, you, I mean, Dallas-Las Vegas is not a bad game. Buffalo-New Orleans no. is the night game. One That one's not as good as it probably would have been last year, uh, you know. But, yeah, Chicago-Detroit at 1230 is kind of a stinker. But, you know, it's it's always good to start off Thanksgiving Day uh, with, you know, after the parade with uh, with some football on. So, yeah. uh, uh, let me well, ask you, the West Coast. So Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> hey, uh, are you a cake or a pie person? I'm more of a cake person. I wasn't much into pie. All right. All right. Well, thank you for calling, and we appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, our first first call person. So I'm I'm a pie guy myself, but uh, if if I if I have to choose, I'm definitely going um going like a pecan pie or a pumpkin pie. Uh, but back to what I was saying with the college football debate here. Washington is one of those schools where if you have success, you're there for a long time. Chris Peterson's record, the things that he did at Washington wouldn't have been good enough at other schools. And now the argument can be made, oh, well, if you're at LSU or USC, you're going to get better recruits, maybe. But Washington can pull in good recruits. It's in Seattle. You can, you can pull in kids from California. You can get good recruiting classes. The pressure at places like USC and LSU is enormous. Just look at – I'll point to LSU's two coaches, uh, their two most recent coaches, Ed Orgeron and Les Miles. Les Miles was forced out of LSU pretty much because he wasn't winning enough. This is a person – now, Les Miles won a national t- championship too. He also – in another national championship game where they lost to Alabama. He went to multiple big-time bowl games. He was in 
He was in the Peach Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, Cotton Bowl, you know. And down the line, he had some rough seasons, 10-3, and 10-3, 8-5. You call 10-3 rough. 8-5. Then he was 9-3 in 2015. 2016, he started 2-2, two and two, and he was let go. That's – and now – you're going to have Ed Orger on, who's also on the chopping block uh, after this season. Okay. He started at LSU, and his record as a full-time head coach, 9-4, 10-3 in 2018, where they won the Fiesta Bowl. 2019, they won the national championship, 5-5, five 4-6. And five, and so it tells me, you start hitting that bump in the road where you're winning eight, nine games and you're not playing for national titles at LSU or playing for SEC titles, they're going to fire you. What coach would want to go there? Les Miles gone after winning a national title and playing for one. And Orgeron, two years after winning a national title. USC, also another place where there's sky-high expectations, especially – after Pete Carroll left there, you have Clay Helton. Clay Helton's been basically a lame duck coach since 2018. He was 10-3 and in 2016, 11-3, and he won the Rose Bowl in 2016, 11-3, won the conference title in 2017, 2018, down year 5-7. and seven. He went 8-5. and five. Then last year, in an abbreviated season, they were 5-1, and one, where they lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. He was fired after a one-on-one start this year. It's, it's almost unrealistic expectations anymore. Everybody wants to be Alabama and Clemson, but those schools have great once-in-a-lifetime coaches. Nick Saban is a top-five college football head coach of all time. Of all time. And if you're lucky enough to get one of these guys, you have dynasties. But not every school – some 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 of these power schools have these coaches once every 40, 50 years. Alabama was down. They had, and they had Bear Bryant, who was the top five coach of all time, and they've had Nick Saban. So they've had two, two of those type coaches, and that's where all of their success has come. I'm not saying Alabama didn't have success – outside of Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, but not like the success there that we've seen. Nebraska, Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne. They've struggled under Solich and Polini and Mike Riley and Scott Frost and so on. Then you have a school like Ohio State. Ohio State has been very good at picking coaches out. They've not had the same downs that other schools have had where, you know, they have two or three losing records in five or six years. That's a fire head coach. They've been very consistent. Uh, Earl Bruce was probably, if you're looking at overall success, he's probably the worst coach that the Buckeyes have had in the last 40 years. This man still won four conference titles. He won four big 10 titles averaged nine wins a season, and he was probably the worst coach that Ohio State has had in 50 years. And he had an 81-26 record. That's saying something. You had John Cooper, and you had Jim Trestle. You had 
you know, obviously Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day, they've been very successful at picking out coaches. They haven't had that clunker where it's just like, yeah, uh, you know, they didn't have a, a Michael like Alabama did. They didn't have did. Uh, you know, there's just been so, you know, they've been very consistent. So when I talk openings, if you're going to look at, if you're going to look at the openings currently and expectations and resources, Washington is probably at the top of that list. We'll see who they hire. Um, you know, I've heard the BYU head coach's name thrown out there a bit. So it'll be interesting to see who Washington gets. Uh, I've heard uh, the main reason why Jimmy Lake was let go uh, was recruiting had diminished so poorly that they were afraid of falling back into, like, the Ty Willingham days where they were just not, not competitive at all. But I'm sure pushing a kid and having an altercation with the player on the sideline didn't help matters any. So uh, sticking with a college theme, there was news out of Nebraska recently uh, where Maryland volleyball players knelt during the anthem in Lincoln, and they were met with a chorus of boos and people shouting at them. And, you know, John Cook uh, and Trev Alberts apologized uh, for the fans. I know that some of the uh, female um, players for Nebraska were embarrassed by it. Um, you know, I, I – and – Please call in and talk to me about this, uh, 563-999-3764, uh, about this. Talk, and I'm not saying all military people, but I, it's, it seems to me that more people are, are offended about the kneeling thing that didn't serve in the military, people who actually served. And it, it, it seems to me that the military people will be like, well, how are you offended for me? This doesn't offend me. And that upsets them more than the kneeling. Now, people kneeling in protest for, you know, systematic racism, social injustice, things like that, I, I understand. Um, it's not something that I personally would do. I wouldn't kneel during the national anthem. Um, but... I've been lucky enough, even though being a minority, I've been lucky enough not to experience a ton of social injustice and a ton of racism. But I also think if somebody wants to kneel because they identify with the issues that they're protesting against, I don't see the big deal in it. And I also, you know, people want to say, well, it's their right to kneel just as it's their right for someone to shout that, you know, shout out things, telling them to stand up. Uh, and whatnot. I get it. But for me, it's not a good look to shout out at the players, and especially at a place like Nebraska, okay? And when I say it's not a good look, and I've gotten into several heated debates with people on this, it's not a good look because in today's day and age, a lot of these young athletes, they take this very seriously, and Nebraska is already kind of looked at as like a farm, state, pick town, whatever. And if you have fans booing and yelling at players who are kneeling, all these players have to look at and be like, 
Why would I want to go to school there? And so for a place that's already struggling in football, you don't want to draw any more negative attention to to your school. And I think athletes look at this, and, and, and nobody wants to face up and, and say it or talk about it, but athletes look at this, they see these things, and then they decide to go to school elsewhere. And I'm not saying Bama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Minnesota, you know, Wisconsin doesn't have fans that would react this way. I'm not saying that. They they probably exist. But there's one thing to do it silently and another thing to do it very publicly. And you could argue that being silent is worse because you kind of – people kind of keep this deep-seated hatred in inward and you don't know what somebody's thinking. But on the flip side of that – it's not embarrassing to the school, and it's not going to turn away recruits. And also, if you're a winning football program, like in Alabama or Texas A&M or someplace like that, you're going to get recruits regardless because they want to come there and win, and they're not going to be deterred by a couple of fans. But at places that are struggling to win, especially in Nebraska, who's struggling to win in basketball, they're struggling to win in football, this is not a good look for them. And so – I'm curious what you guys all think, if you guys want to call in and talk about it. If not, if it's too out of a subject, that's fine, too. But to me, I have never been appalled by the kneeling thing, and a lot of people take it very seriously. So it's not something that I think is, like I said, talking to veterans. Uh, They don't seem to be as horrified at it as other people who've never served. Okay, moving on here. we talked a little bit about uh, college football. Uh, it was a heck of a day for the NFL. Um, as our caller had called in recently, talking about Dallas. Dallas got it back. Dallas got their groove back, beating down Atlanta, scoring 29 second-quarter points. Prescott was very efficient. He was 24-31 for 296 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, one thing that was surprising is Atlanta doesn't have the best run defense, but – Dallas was kind of stuffed there. 37 carries, 114 yards. Zeke did get two touchdowns, but he only had 41 yards rushing on 14 carries. His long of the day was nine yards. So they he struggled to get it going. Uh, I feel like Dallas's defense really stepped up. Uh, obviously, their special teams had a blocked punt, but the game was kind of already in doubt at that point, 28-3 when they got the uh, blocked punt return. Uh, but um, Matt uh, Ryan threw three interceptions. Um, it was a bad game for him. Uh, the Dallas defense stepped stepped up. Um, Dallas, this is how Dallas has to win, as I talked about with our caller. Dak Prescott is a great back, but he can't be throwing the ball 50 times a game. He just can't. Dallas's defense, while talented, is not good enough to – keep coming out on the field. So this is what Dallas – Dallas has been successful this year because this is the formula Dallas has stuck to for the most part. Dak Prescott throws the ball 25 to 30 times a game, and they keep winning. In their two losses, the first one against the Buccaneers, Dak Prescott threw 58 times. And, yeah, he had a great day. 
42-58 for 403 yards and three touchdowns. But they lost. They lost that game. And against Denver, as our caller had mentioned, he wasn't healthy. And the Broncos, you know, and every team's way stinker sometimes. But he threw the ball almost 40 times that day. They only ran the ball 16 times. Two losses, both times, Dak Prescott threw the ball more times than he probably needed to. So I like Dallas. Dallas is really coming alive this season. They got a coordinator. Um, I think Dallas is going to be – the NFC, though, is shaping up to look pretty rough to get through. I, I mean, right now, if the playoffs started today, you're looking at – right now in the NFC, the number one seed being Green Bay, followed by Arizona as the number two seed. Dallas would be the three seed. Tampa Bay would be the fourth seed. New Orleans. In the new stuff, so you would be looking at Arizona having to play Carolina and Dallas having to play New Orleans in the wild card, and then a Tampa Bay LA Rams shootout potentially. And then so Dallas, let's say they beat New Orleans, which is very possible, they would then have to play Arizona if Arizona gets by Carolina in the first round. And then they would potentially have to play either Green Bay, Tampa Bay, or Los Angeles. That is a heck of a run to get to the Super Bowl. You look at the AFC, it's a little bit different. Tennessee is the number one seed with Buffalo currently holding the two seed, Baltimore three, Kansas City in the fourth seed, Pittsburgh in the five, New England in the six, and L.A. with the seventh and final seed. So let's say the Chiefs need to get to the Super Bowl. Well, they got to beat Pittsburgh first, which they probably could. Ben doesn't have a great beat ball anymore, and he's going to have trouble getting um, getting the ball down the field, especially if Pittsburgh gets down early. Then let's say Kansas City gets by Pittsburgh, possibly taking on the Titans in the next round. They've beaten the they didn't beat the Titans this year, but they beat the Titans in the playoffs. Then maybe looking at a Buffalo or Baltimore AFC title game. I think the road through the AFC is a lot easier than the NFC. There's more top teams in the NFC. The NFC has about four teams, even five, I would say, actually. you got the Packers, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, the Bucks, and the Rams. You have five teams that could legitimately win the Super Bowl. And in the AFC, really, there's there's maybe two. I think the Titans are one of those teams. I think the Chiefs, if they fix their problems, they can get there. And maybe Buffalo. But we've seen this year, Buffalo and Kansas City has had stretches of not being able to produce offensively. And Kansas City doesn't have the defense that Buffalo has, where I feel like even if Buffalo's offense isn't there, their defense can at least keep them close and in the game. Uh, and we saw that. They lost to Jacksonville, but – their defense only gave up nine points and they had chances to pull ahead and win that game. Um, So, you know, in in the game against the Steelers, they gave up 23 points. They also gave 23-16. So I I feel like the Bills defense is good enough that if their offense isn't there, the defense can at least keep it close to where there's within striking distance. For me, I don't think the Chiefs defense is good enough to do that. And we've seen with their four losses, um, you know, the Chargers, the Titans, um, 
the Ravens. Or I guess I would say the Bills and the Titans, especially because those games were, you know, the Ravens they lost by one, they lost by six points to the Chargers, but Titans twenty-seven to three, it's twenty. Their offense didn't show up in those games, and the defense couldn't keep it close. So it'll be interesting to see. Kansas City looks like they got their groove back, but it was against the Raiders. So who knows? Who knows how real that was? Um, you had Pittsburgh getting the shocking tie uh, against um, the de- the lowly Detroit Lions. So the Lions are still winless, but at least they got a tie. But some of that can be chalked up to Mason Rudolph having to get the start. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was a late scratch due to COVID. Mason Rudolph is clearly not the answer, and clearly they don't believe in Dwayne Haskins. Mason Rudolph threw the ball 50. I mean, how many plays did the Steelers run when Najee Harris is running the ball 26 times and Mason Rudolph threw the ball 50 times? I mean, that's that's incredible. How, how I mean, the Steelers ran 81 plays. 81 to 68. Uh, it's just incredible to me that you can that you can run that you can run the ball 31 times like Pittsburgh did, plus run pass the ball 50 times. But clearly, the Steelers are going to have to start thinking uh, taking a quarterback, and because Roethlisberger, he's probably in his last year. Okay, it's, it's probably not going to go anywhere else for him. Uh, this has got to be his last year. I, I just I don't see I don't see any scenario where he comes back and you guys start looking at quarterback. The problem is Pittsburgh's been competitive this year. They're, they've been they're in a playoff spot right now. Even if they kind of hit a skid late in the season like they did last year, they're probably picking at 16th or 17th at best. And what quarterback's going to be there? So I thought last year was the prime time for them to pick up somebody, I, but. Uh, maybe make the trade up, uh, but they didn't do it. So time will tell. But the Steelers uh, are definitely in need of getting a quarterback. It looks like the 49ers were the first to strike. Um, Matthew Stafford threw an interception early. Uh, the 49ers are up 7 to nothing currently on the Rams. This is one to watch. Um, the 49ers need to get it going, man. I, I, you know, Kyle Shanahan's been there now, and I'm a big fan of him as a coach. But right now his record doesn't show that he deserves to be there should San Francisco suffer a losing season. Um, he was 6-10 and 10 his first year there in 2017. And if you'll remember now, they in that season, they started off terribly. Uh, that was his first season. They started off, I want to say, if we're looking at their schedule, they started off 0 and, 0 and 9. Then they, made the, then they made the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. And they finished the season 6 and 10. So they finished 6 and 1 down the stretch after starting 0 and 9. So they came into the next season with high expectations. But as many things have happened, Injuries befell them, and Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL early in the season. So they didn't have a quarterback. So everybody kind of forgave them for going 4-12. and 12. The next year, that with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, they go 13-3, and three and they lose to Kansas City in the Super Bowl. 
Then in 2020, last year, Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt again. They don't have a quarterback to kind of step up, and they go six and ten. And this year, they're sitting at three and five. There's still a lot of football to be played. They've played about they about half their games. They got to beat the Rams. Then they go on a stretch where there's at least five winnable games. Down the stretch, they have one of the easiest schedules in football. After the Rams, they get the Jaguars, the Vikings, at Seahawks, at Bengals, Falcons, at Titans, Texans, Rams. They beat the Rams and they're sitting at four and five. All of a sudden, you roll off one against Jacksonville, you're sitting at five and five, maybe beat the Vikings six and five, take care of business against a battered Seahawks squad. Now you're seven and five going into a Bengals game. Even if you lose that one and go seven and six, you're probably beating the Falcons. Maybe you lose to the Titans. You're sitting at eight and seven. Maybe beat the Texans. All of a sudden you're at nine wins. And maybe needing to beat the Rams to get in the playoffs. But if they, this is a key game because if they lose this here and they're sitting at three and six, they get some of these toss-up games like the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Titans, they got to win. But I'll tell you what, if I'm a team and Kyle Shannon gets fired, I'm instantly smashing him up because I think he's one of the best play callers, one of the best offensive designers in the NFL. I think he's been failed to an extent by so many injuries that have happened. That, you know, think about it this year. Their running back, Raheem Mostert, gets hurt in the first game. They still have Jeff Wilson, who's on the IR. To Michael Hasty gets hurt. They're turning to rookie Elijah Mitchell, who's looked very good. They're turning to Trey Sermon. Their pass catchers have been banged up. George Kittle just coming back off IR. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was in a coma for the first eight weeks of the season before he's finally woken up. Um, it's just they've had a lot of health issues, especially on defense. So they can't seem to stay healthy, but I'm telling you what, if San Francisco moves on from Kyle Shanahan after this year, I think that whoever snatches them up, they're going to get a guy that can potentially lead your team to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. Because I, I have a lot of high expectations for Kyle Shanahan, uh, but I, I don't think some of the roster moves that have been made have been the best um, I'm not sure Trey Lance is the guy. I, I've heard multiple sources within the 49ers organization talk about how Shanahan was really high on Mac Jones. John Lynch was higher on Trey Lance. John Lynch won. They took Trey Lance. Was that a good move? I don't know. Mac Jones up for offense, AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. The Patriots are kind of coming in hot. I don't know. You know, hindsight's always 20, uh, 2020, but where might the 49ers be had they selected Mac Jones there? Um, we were talking uh, Thanksgiving Day debates, and we're going to put this on the poll. Uh, we asked, what's better? Do you have, like, uh, are you a uh, pie or a cake person? And then for Thanksgiving, a lot of people like to go turkey, but this year for Thanksgiving, I'm doing a ham and a turkey. Would people be cool with ham? I don't know. I'm going to put that on poll. Is ham more of a Christmas and Easter thing? Or, you know, do you, is it good to have both? Um, last thing I want to cover um, uh, is Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Hornets. Or Pelicans, I'm sorry. 
they are two and twelve. They fired Jeff Van, or Steve Van, Stan Van Gundy. I, I can't get this right. Zion Williams Williamson is not close to returning. He's overweight. He's th- over three hundred pounds. This dude is every day. He's looking more and more. No, if he's the guy, he, I I don't know. He doesn't. He doesn't seem like he's interested in coming back and playing. You look at that draft. A lot of people thought he was a sure thing. I wasn't sure. I thought he would be a good player. I thought he would be better than what he's been. And yeah, when he's when he's played, he's looked pretty good. But he's only twenty one years old. He is out of shape. He's carrying too much weight, especially for a six six frame. If he was seven foot, three hundred fifteen pounds, like Shaq, nobody would care. But he's six foot six. He's six foot six, man. That draft. That was, I believe, the 2019 draft. And I I don't know. Could it be said that some of the players taken are very good draft? 2019 was was filled with a lot of meh to it. So I can't necessarily blame the Pelicans. John Morant was, was probably the best player in that draft. And it's only been a couple of years, so it's hard to tell if, you know, guys like, you know, Colby White or DeAndre Hunter or, you know, Darius Garland, some of these guys are going to turn out to be better. But right now, I mean, Zion Williamson, I don't I, – it's hard to tell, say someone is a bust who's made – uh, an all-NBA team in their first couple of years and an all-star team. But some of that, I feel like, is in name only. You know, his first two years in the league, uh, and his first year he was banged up. He had a foot injury, so he only played in 24 games. But he averaged in that time 22.5 points. 2020 this last year was his first full season, He but he only played 61 games. He averaged 27 points, 7 rebounds. So in two seasons in a league where they play 82 games, so 164 games, he's played 85. He's played about 50, about 50% of the games in two seasons, and now this year he's missing a bunch of time. I, I just I, – I don't know. I Maybe he's a bust. Maybe he's a bust. But this happens in the NBA. The draft, you know, some years it's deeper – Other years, there's like one or two guys. And if you're lucky enough, if you're picking in the top five and and it's one of those drafts where there's one or two guys, you've got to hope that either one of the guys you're picking at four or five or later turns into be a starter or a really good guy in the rough or maybe just a rotation. That draft has produced – DeAndre, Trey Young, Colin Sexton, Miles Bridges. I mean, there's a lot of good players that came out of this draft. And then you look at 2020, last year's draft, you know, 
Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Patrick Williams, Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see. We'll see what some of these guys do. But I, I think I'm thinking that right now Zion Williamson, to me, he's, he's a bit of a bust. Uh, but that's the show that we have today. Uh, we're going to end it about, you know, 19 minutes earlier than me. It's a lot harder to do an hour show when I'm by myself, when I'm, when I have my, when I have Sam, uh, when I have my, you know, partner on the show, uh, he is a lot, uh, you know, we can talk more. Uh, and so obviously the show lacks, uh, a lot, uh, when he's not present, I couldn't get my wife on the show today to give her, uh, you know, supreme thoughts and intellect on the, on what's happening in sports, uh, but might try to get her in on Friday if Sam's still feeling under the weather. But thank you for listening. We will be back Friday uh, for uh, the show before the weekend. I know we've missed a couple Friday shows, um, and that's just been because uh, we just, you know, had a lot going on. Uh, and then the next week we're probably going to take a week off for Thanksgiving. Uh, but we will we'll be back on Friday. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Mike. Thank you for tuning in to the No Huddle Show.